Global, sparking innovative thoughts. We're going to be talking with Brett King, the author of The Rise of Techno-Socialism, and the founder of Movin. And of course, we have in this group, we have uh, Kun Paul, okay, Kun Paul Ak, who is uh, the advisor of Gobi Partners, and Kun Nichapat, is that right? Uh, Thailand coverage at Open Space Ventures, and uh, Kun Mimi, the co-founder and CEO of Texas Media. And I am Chawarat Yong Dirno Norpupe. I'm the global content editor. Um, actually, uh, Brett is our guest speaker before at TechSource Global Summit event in 2017. So this is our second time that we have chance to interview uh, Brett King. Thank you yes. so much for your time today. Thank you so much. No, um, be, uh, be on the session. Yeah, no, if I could, I, I just want to sort of briefly describe the kind of the, the, the origin story of this uh, tonight's conversation because... Uh, you know, Mimi had asked uh, if uh, Brett and I would uh, join her in a room, a Texas room on Clubhouse. Uh, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, Brett and I, and we, we love chatting and, you know, we had a great lunch with, uh, you know, Nietzsche as well as, uh, you know, Kit from Rise and Sam from, uh, you know, Krungsi. And so I think what we, we want to do is rather than make it, kind of a really formal interview style panel. Um, a lot of times when I sit down with Brett over drinks or dinner, we just start riffing on, you know, different books we've read, cool technologies that are coming out. We start imagining like, you know, what some of these technologies will be like in the far future. And it just really leads to some interesting discussions. And I think the last time we did this, you know, uh, Nietzsche was with us and, you know, some other Thai folks and you know, I think the ideas were just sort of bouncing around and we figured, what if we did this uh, in a clubhouse room? And I think what we wanted to do was not just create that kind of environment, but we wanted to make it a little bit more inclusive because we do understand that, um, you know, a lot of the folks in the Thai ecosystem may not be completely comfortable with English and, you know, Brett and I, sometimes we get excited and we talk fast, uh, but there's always some really great ideas that I think we wanted to highlight, which is why, you know, we're not doing a pure translation format, but we'll, we'll, we'll sort of chat for a while. We'll bounce ideas around uh, and then we'll take a break every, you know, seven, eight minutes. Uh, and then one of uh, our, our lovely ties on the stage will kind of just summarize uh, in Thai for our Thai language speakers, just some of the highlight top level ideas that were sort of bouncing around so that at least everyone can try to be as inspired as the rest of us. Um, and so uh, actually just to kind of get things rolling uh, and, and I, I kind of want everyone on the stage to comment on this because one of the things that Brett and I always do is, you know, um, because we're both futurists and we're like sci-fi geeks, you know, we always like, to, we love to talk about movies that we like, and we like to try and imagine like, what are the cool technologies in movies that could kind of become real life? And, you know, for a great example, I most, I know almost everyone in this room has watched the Avengers. Uh, and so, you know, we, we talk about, you know, oh, how long will it take to have like Iron Man style armor? You know, when can we have like Quinjets? You know, what, when, when are we gonna get these types of technologies? So what I would love is to just ask everyone on the stage, like, is there some sort of movie that you love or that you saw where you say, 
that is a piece of technology that I want to see in my lifetime. For me, it's not a movie necessarily as a book um, or a series of books. And that is the culture series by Ian Banks. And if you know Elon, you know, he's a big fan of uh, Ian Banks and, and sort of the vision he has of the future. And that is where, you know, technology has sort of been integrated into humanity to get humanity to its optimal. So that means, uh, you know, you can live forever, you don't get sick, um, you know, you've got uh, incredible intelligence because of neural implants, um, you know, plus you get all of those other things like the Iron Man suit, but, you know, sort of basically built into your, um, you know, uh, your, 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 um, exoskeleton or whatever you want to call it, including like a neural lace and neural chips and things like that that can back up your consciousness. So um, for me, that's probably optimal humanity, um, you know, based on, and, and it will be sometime, you know, in the 22nd century, I think when we'll get there, obviously there's, there's some tech that we can talk about now, like nanorobots and things like that, that get um, uh, depicted in sci-fi, which would be pretty cool to have in the latter part of this century. But 22nd century, it takes it to a whole new level. Nisha Pat, do you have any thoughts? You, you look like you're about to say something. Yeah, I am about to talk about a book as well, right? So for me, um, uh, it's the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because, you know, for me, I believe in um, effective communication, right? And I think, um, you know, just rightly uh, the way we have the Clubhouse session today, right? We still have to do the bilingual sort of session, right? But if we could have bubble fish, the way, um, you know, it said in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the ga Galaxy, you don't need a translator. You would understand each other. Everyone, you know, though uh, speaking in, uh, you know, that languages, but, you know, can understand each other. So for me, um, you know, we kind of getting there, but still, um, you know, far away for the real-time tra translator. But if you ask me what are the tech that I am excited about, I would love to see that. I, I want to explain to everyone in the room that may not have read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, because it is a classic science fiction book. And it was actually written in 1977, but it, it influenced an entire generation of geeks and nerds, actually including Elon Musk. Uh, in, his, in, in, the autobi in the biography of Elon Musk, he basically said that The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, he read it when he was 15 and it shaped his entire thinking uh, in adulthood. Uh, and one of the little kind of throwaway pieces of technology, because it's a space adventure, and to explain how people, how earthlings can uh, understand different aliens, they talk about this alien fish called a babble fish that you stick in your ear. And when it hears alien languages, it eats the sound waves and then it poops out other sound waves in your native language. It's silly, but it basically is kind of a real-time translation device. Uh, and, you know, actually Google is working on a wearable called Project, under the, the project name, uh, Project Babblefish, because they want to do real-time audio translation. So, you know, I think about, you know, if we fast forward, you know, we're, we're getting pretty close to that. We're getting close. So imagine if you fast forward 20 years 
and you have automatic real-time translation in any language, do you need to even study a foreign language? Well, that's, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Jack, Jack mm -hmm. Maher actually talks about this when he talks about the future of education. He says mm -hmm. we won't need to learn other languages because mm -hmm. we'll have instant translation. But he said you lose something if, yeah. if you know, when you don't learn a new language, you, you miss aspects of the culture and yes, yes. the richness of, of yes. that. So, um, but fortunately... As technology improves, we'll have more time to do things like learning languages. So, um, you know, we'll be able to use the tech when we can't. But I still think there's a, a richness to learning the languages. I, but I, I, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I just I had to jump in. No, <laughs> please, everyone. please. Brett, actually, please. I spoke to you uh, at the summit. I uh, we were. Uh, I remember. Talking, yeah, through Zoom. Um, and this is interesting because I am an educator. I teach English. Uh, so I am like a bilingual, so I kind of understand how, you know, there's differences, there's nuances when it, you talk about translation. You can't simply just like Google Translate. I mean, we will get very accurate translation, but there are certain concepts in cultures that really can't be translated. There are certain things like, for example, in Thai language where you say, um, you know, that's kind of like a cultural aspect where, you know, it's um, it's not really seen in other countries where you, you think of the other person, you know. Have you heard of this, Brett, um, the, 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 the Thai word? I know you're in Thailand, right? I am, but I haven't, I haven't heard of that concept. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of idioms, yeah. <laughs> you know, that don't translate yeah. well when you're trying to, you know, like ch Chinese idioms and things like that, that you, you'd have, like, no... no uh, um, no way, you know, it, it'd be difficult to translate, you know, yeah. um, like, you know, yeah, anyway. I yeah, because, yeah, because, yeah, because you're like talking about culture as well, um, which is interesting. It's interesting. I think there's a, a Disney film coming out. Actually, it's on in the movies right now. You guys are into sci-fi. I'm into animation. <laughs> Disney just came out with uh, an animation. I think it's called Raya. Raya. Raya and the Last Dragon. Yes, Raya and the Last Dragon. And that is like uh, a bunch of writers got together and they were writing, you know, from the influences of Southeast Asian countries. So they were trying their best to like fuse everything together in one film. So, I mean, I haven't watched it yet, but I think it's interesting how we as humans will evolve you know, as, as not only just like kept in by our own borders. I mean, it's interesting if you do have that translation accuracy continuing on and, and of course the art of learning languages, but it's going to be interesting to see how we evolve and understand each other more. Yeah, well, it, it's, uh, it's interesting because the, the movie itself, aside from being kind of a Disney animated film, is I think the message behind it is supposed to be kind of, there's a lot of discussion about... Um, you know, countries working together, uh, sustainability and climate, um, probably, uh, you know, a lot of gender equality. So a lot of the key issues that uh, I think we're, we're struggling with today um, and, and actually probably sort of gets into, you know, Brett's new book as well. So uh, I think the movie is very timely. Right, guys, um, you know, just just uh, very conscious of time, right? We are 15 minutes into the session. And then now, um, you know, we want to discuss about the future tech 
in Thailand, yeah. right? So now the question is that uh, once again, the movies that you guys have seen, what are the cool tech that you wish we will have that, right? I mean, you know, to to um, you know, the one that I I uh share the. Bubblefish, I, I know that right now uh, the tech is still not there, but we are talking about what if we have that, right? Let's, um, if you if you guys don't mind, let's uh, go back to that. Uh, I'm not sure, Kun uh, Pupe, would you like to share, um, you know, the tech in the movie that you like, that you wish that um, we're going to have in the next century? Oh, I don't know, because honestly, I'm kind of living in the moment right now. Awesome. <laughs> you, so, so we like... don't, we don't. Yeah. So, so maybe because... uh, we give uh, you maybe a few more moments. Oh, and then... I, no, I, 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 I could just say my last thing about this, this whole situation. I think we're living in an exciting time. I think we've talked about it in various talks. I, I've talked to Brett about it, you know, how, um, you know, COVID-19 has really tr triggered that, you know, speed into accelerating a lot of things that we're seeing in movies. I mean, just this morning, I was reading news about how Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook was saying, oh, you know, in the future, we could teleport by using smart glasses, um, by using augmented reality. So it's exciting. I think that what's so cool is that it's, it's going to happen soon. A lot of things that we haven't seen in the past. Kunmimi, you yes, want to uh, say something? Yes, I, I, would, I would like to ask uh, Brett about a technology for the aging society because of, uh, mm. it is possible for us in the next century, whether we can live longer, maybe beyond 130 years old or something like that. Absolutely. So the most, um, I mean, um, you know, we're obviously working on longevity right now. We have a number of technologies that certainly by the 22nd century um, will be available to us for longevity. Um, the major uh, thing right now is um, we're, we're obviously trying to engineer cellular reproduction, senescence and uh, so forth to, to improve. Um, so this, uh, there's a number of uh, techniques for this. One is uh, ensuring that our telomeres, um, you know, uh, that the little um, connections at the end of our DNA strands don't fray. And, um, you know, this introduces replication area error for cell reproduction. Um, you know, a lot of this is being studied right now, um, you know, uh, boosting the immune system and so forth. But of course, in the 22nd century, we'll also have uh, transhumanism will be integrating technology and cybernetics and so forth into the body. And so one of the big concerns is that, um, you know, in the 22nd century, we could have two classes of humans. We could have humans that have been enhanced or augmented to the point where they're no longer, um, you know, humans in the classical sense. Um, and, you know, you could have natural humans and this could be too, you know, people may choose to live completely naturally with minimal uh, enhancements to themselves, um, just biological uh, um, uh, treatments rather than cybernetics. And, but others, uh, you know, um, you know, humanity as a whole is going to have to probably, you know, um, en enhance ourselves and augment ourselves to compete with artificial intelligence intelligence in in some respects as well so um having said that actually can i comment on that because yeah, i'd love ahead. to talk about a, a book but actually first can i uh, can do we want to do kind of just a quick one to two minute summary of some of the ideas we're talking to for the benefit of our thai speakers brett i i, I wanted to ask this i want to slip this question in because you're saying that we'll find a way to extend our lives right what about but the population, though, how do we control the population of 
Well, you know, you send who you don't want to Mars with Elon, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> okay, no, I um, send my husband. Yeah. <laughs> I'll miss you. <laughs> Paul and I are both going to Mars, I think. Now, um, the reality is population um, increase was a concern um, historically, but these days, um, you know, the, the world is, is going to reach a peak of about 11 billion uh, people in the 2070s, and then population is actually going to start contracting. Because as we get more um, affluent around the world, um, you know, and, and people get more wealth, they tend to have less children. And so as developing economies become more developed by technologies like the Internet, um, we're going to see birth rates uh, shrink. In, in uh, There's many countries around the world already today that have negative birth rates, you know, Italy, Japan, uh, Spain, etc. You know, um, and so um, it's actually a problem. Um, we we may not be producing enough babies to, uh, um, you know, increase uh, the human race in the way we have uh, previously. Um, so uh, with longevity, the the other issue is you have a, a an aging population. And so how do you care for an aging population when you don't have a lot of babies being born? And we're going to use robotic technology and things like that to, to attempt to do that. Um, but, it, you know, one of the big challenges facing humanity in the 22nd century is having babies. Um, it, it's interesting that you talk about, you know, how to deal with aging society. And I, I guess I was going to talk about a different movie, but actually one movie that came to mind when you were talking about that was the Robin Williams movie Bicentennial Man. Uh, and if anyone... Has yeah, that's a good, it's, good example. Uh, and and it's, it's basically, uh, for those that are not familiar with it, it wasn't a, a really popular movie, but I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, Robin Williams actually plays a synthetic robot that gains consciousness. And it's about his quest to become more human over time. Uh, and along the way, I mean, he, he act, you know, his character actually develops um you know uh, biological uh, synthetic implants that will basically extend life so you know humans basically have kind of you know these biomechanical hearts and organs uh, and it raises a lot of questions of at what point uh do humans have so many of these implants that they are more machine than human and does that make them uh you know machine uh, and, and I think as Robin Williams' character was basically implanting these same organs in his own body, you know, and he starts to achieve kind of the same mix between the types of organs that humans were implanting. Does he achieve humanity? Because no, now it's no longer 100% biological and 100%, uh, you know, machine. And so, you know, if you look at some of these technologies, you know, you're talking about robotics, uh, you know, I thought one of the really interesting um, features from the Avengers movies is if everyone remembers War Machine, uh, you know, the, you know, Tony Stark's friend who actually was crippled in one of the movies. You know, he sustained a spinal injury and he has to use that robotic tech so that he can walk. Uh, so this is someone who actually is physically disabled, but can now is mobile. And these types of technologies that, are now that's... coming up. I was just going to say the word disability will have disappeared by the 22nd century. Yeah. Cause it, it will all be synthetic will be augmented. Uh, but you know, the, the, there's actually um, these robotic exoskeletons that are being tested in Japan. 
that will allow elderly Japanese to still continue to do manual labor, lift boxes, do gardening, do, you know, sort of construction work because these exoskeletons will sort of augment their physical, uh, you know, their, their aging muscles. And so some of this future tech is now starting to, you know, to, to Chowrat's point, it start to accelerate. So everything that I would have thought would have probably taken 50 years uh, is now actually sort of popping up either now or in the next five to 10. I have a question because as a female, I don't know. I feel that, you know, when I, I, I still, I can't get my mind off that. Women, I mean, I, I feel like some women or some people, they're born and they do want to have children. They do want to have, like, they do want to create life, right? But I feel like, okay, then if we, I mean, are you, are you saying there, are, there will be a minority of people who are going to be reproducing while you have others who are like maybe at different levels of their lives or like, I don't know. I'm well, I mean, I, no, that's, that's, that's such an interesting question because it gets back to, I think, some of the earlier points when we're talking about like learning languages. I mean, if you think about a lot of the stuff that humans did for so long, it's because they needed to. Um, you know, uh, I think for, for, for thousands of years, humans had babies just to kind of propagate the race. Mm. It wasn't because they loved having babies. It's because, you know, the, the <laughs> yeah. species needs to survive. And if you think about these, if you think about sort of the most... Uh, underdeveloped places in the world, you know, these families have multiple kids because uh, the mortality of their children under the age of five is quite high. So many children die before they reach the age of five. So having seven, eight, 12 kids is a hedge. It's like you, you have yeah, 12 yeah. kids and you hope that yeah. three survive. Um, yeah. And, you know, things like cooking, you know, it used to be something that families had to do every day to survive, but now cooking is now seen as a hobby. It's, you know, you do it for art, for personal satisfaction. Um, I think there's one factor that might change all of this though, Mm -hmm. which is um, we, we won't have to work in the future the way we do today. Work is going to dramatically change as a, you know, as a, a function of society. Um, and we're going to have things like universal basic income and so forth. And so, um, you know, as Paul rightly pointed out today, for many people, the decision to have children is an economic one. And now when you have, you know, like global universal basic income, you know, which I would expect we would have in the 22nd century or, you know, basically housing, food, uh, education, healthcare, et cetera, will be just integrated into society and free. When you have that, then um, the economic factors around having a child, um, you know, disappear. And then you make a decision of whether you want to have a child purely for bringing an intelligence or a life into the world and, and having that experience. Um, and so I do think that, that what we, you know, we will reframe um, the, the, the issue of having children in the future. I think that's true. I think actually this is something that um, being a woman, I mean, I, I observe a lot. Some women don't want to have kids because they're well off and they don't, you know, feel the need to. While others, they they pay so much money to to give birth to to actually, you know, uh, have a child of their own. So I'm just wondering, yeah, would it be different? So that is very interesting what you're saying there, Brad. Okay. It'll definitely be different. And, and you know, also, <laughs> if you're living to, 
the age of 150, yes. you know, and you're 30 now and you're thinking, I'm never going to have a kid, you know, I'm never going to have a child. By the time you reach 70, you may feel very differently about it, right? And if you've mm-hmm. got another 70 or 80 years of life expectancy, you may say, yeah, let me have a child over the next 20 years, 20, 30 years and see how that goes. So technology will help the reproduction of females. Because, like, when you hit, like, 40 or 50, you can't have kids anymore. Yeah. No, well, definitely, again, this is all about senescence and cellular reproduction, which, you know, know, certainly I think within the next 50 years will make incredible strides towards. And then you can, you know, you can freeze your eggs and um, re-implant them and things like that. Well, I mean, you you might even consider that by the time we hit that level of technology, you may not even need to biologically carry the baby to term yourself. Correct. We may use what they call zygotes, you know, like uh, artificial worms. Yeah. Oh, okay. I get it now. Yeah, I remember. So it's like, you know, you decide to have a baby and then you let it grow in some sort of biological, you know, containment unit. Uh And you kind of just, you know, you enjoy yoga and your work and whatever. And then nine months later, you have a kid. Or you never know. The the technology (laughs) might be able to accelerate the development cycle too. So you might decide to say, oh, three-day delivery. Here's your baby. Who knows? Guys, uh, if if I may, right, Brett, just now you touch, uh, you know, a big if, right? Or these, you know, if we have the UBI, the universal basic income, right? I I hope we do have it. But, um, you know, just want to ask you, what are, like, you know, really the key things that need to happen uh, so that, majority of people in the world will have UBI. So let me just frame this by making a statement that will be somewhat controversial for some people. Um, But the concept that our current form of democracy Mm. and our current, um, you know, form of economics will survive for thousands of years is ludicrous. Because if you look at the historical development of humanity, that's not what happens. You know, capitalism is relatively new. Keynesian economics is new. Adam Smith is fairly new historically. You, you, you know, you go back 300 years, it was all different. And the same is going to happen with our political systems and so forth. But we're about to undergo some radical changes in terms of the concept of what humanity is and how we should work together, which is going to dramatically shift politics and economics. And that is that climate change and uh, high levels of automation in society, you know, AI-based unemployment and rolling pandemics because coronavirus is not going to be the last pandemic. These these will all create a far more collective sort of uh, pursuit of humanity as a species in terms of evolving and, you know, becoming the best we can be as a species. So we'll work much more together. And this the current system we have where you have to argue for those trade-offs between billionaires getting the money and the poor people getting the money or, you know, corporations getting tax breaks and, you know, and providing health care for, um, you know, uh, for, for the average human, as an example. Those will largely disappear because we will understand um, you know, at the second half of this century, first and foremost, that um, the 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 number one secret of success for the longevity of humanity as a species, at species, and our intelligence is the ability for us to work together collectively. 
And so the systems we have today are very um, inefficient at doing that. Um, that's going to be the big conceptual shift. And, and once we get through that, which climate change and AI automation will sort of force us to do, um, a UBI won't even be a, a discussion, um, you know, because the, the framing of this will be pretty simple. What's the number one responsibility that a government has to its citizens? And that is to clothe them, to feed them, to make sure they're educated and healthy. And that becomes the first yeah. thing you do as an economy. Then you pursue everything else, profitability, um, you know, engineering, innovation, et cetera. But first and foremost, um, you look after citizens and you enable them to reach their full potential. I, I just Can wanted I? to ask, oh, sorry, Paul. No, I, uh, why don't you go ahead? Because I'm going to throw uh, yeah, in a bit of a hand grenade into the uh, yeah, Okay, okay. I, w I, w I wanted to say, since we're talking about TV programs and everything, one of the TV programs that I just caught up with is um, Snowpiercer. It's about, a, you know, like... It's a, great, yeah. Yeah, it's about uh, managing, you know, okay, for all the people who are here who might not watched it, um, it's when it's like uh, basically global warming occurs and it's just cold throughout the whole world and the only way to survive is to like be in this train uh, where it just keeps going it generates energy and it keeps going forever and um and what happens is there's um resources right that are limited and then you ha have the division of class um what's interesting what brett said was um we will not have that anymore we will be united as as maybe in this is this series say as one train right to go against you know um, a common enemy or whatever uh, but how do you manage the resources Brett where you know where there is equality it's a good it's a, it's look you know this whole issue of equality is is being a bane on humanity's existence since the Middle Ages even before that right um, and it's not necessarily a very, you know, the way we organize resource allocation today is not particularly efficient, you know. Um, and so the, con like, look at Apple. You know, Apple's an amazing company, um, but they have $200 billion in cash, you know, and just holding that wealth instead of deploying that to create jobs and create more innovations are, um, you know, uh, uh, sort of sig significant issues in terms of um, the way we use resources. Is it efficient for Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos to have these billions of dollars um, and hold that wealth rather than deploying that in uh, meaningful ways? So, yeah, there are some good questions. But if you look at the the outcomes, like let's call it neo-feudalism, right, where essentially, um, you know, the 1% rule, the 99%, they control the wealth, they control resource allocation. That's been the mode of existence for humanity through most of, you know, history. But it's grossly inefficient. And so AI, I think, is where this is all going to change because particularly for government, when we use AI to do resource allocation, we'll realize the huge gains that come collectively from seeing resource allocation as a problem we have to solve collectively. So, so let me, let me throw in some points to, you know, cause I think, I think the picture that Brent is painting or that, you know, the vision that I think a lot of us hope happens is that, you know, not even just universal basic income, but kind of a more 
uh, harmonious global society. You know, I mean, I think we're both like, you know, Star Trek. United Federation of Planets sounds awesome. You know, we eliminate poverty, we eliminate war. Um, you know, but, you know, I think the challenge is, you know, how do we get governments to collaborate when, you know, even if we look at, you know, Thailand, there's still such a big political divide. There's an economic divide. Uh, but, you know, I mean, you know, I think we're hoping that over the next century, we come together as a human race. Now, the thing that I think that's really quite interesting, if we throw that into the mix, is that, you know, Elon Musk thinks that we'll probably be in a position to colonize Mars uh, before the end of the century. Uh, and if that happens, you know, what does the government of Mars looks like? Who claims sovereignty over Mars? You know, because we're just trying to We've figure out this how to... Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like we're, Paul. we're already trying to figure out. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yes. No, 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 no. I, I, I love this, right? But, but just want to, um, you know, we can talk about Mars, um, you know, in maybe next session or what? Because I, I, <laughs> okay. no, 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 yeah, no, no, because no, 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 because I am so conscious of time because Brad can be with us just for another fifteen minutes, right? So if you don't mind, I just want to sort of having like said close. that nature. Excuse there me? is there is there's one piece of the Mars question which is a very good one for looking at this problem, and that is, if we do colonize Mars, let's say we have a million people on the surface of Mars, would we simply replicate the system we have on Earth? You know, um, I don't think so. You know, right? Commerce, mm. capitalism, all that, and the answer is no. Yeah, because no. it would not lead to the optimal outcome for a Martian colony. So exactly, we we created like a sustainable prosperity doctrine essentially um, to be able to be independent from the Earth. And so yep. it's a good analogy for where we go, where we're going. Sure, and then that's why I like to bring you guys back to sort of like where you where Thailand. we left off a bit. Not not really Thailand, like I mean, you know, the whole world, right? Because Brett said that the climate change, the uh, AI-based employment, uh, um, you know, temperature, the COVID, and all this stuff will make human work together closer, uh, much closer, which we can already see that right Brett but could you help me or help the audience a bit of how that would reach to the universal basic income okay, okay. so yep so Brett please help 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 us visualize a bit right okay with all these human work much closer together and how we're gonna reach UBI thank you well you know, so if, if we mobilize around climate, for example, okay, um, climate mitigation is going to create trillions of dollars of economic activity trying to undo the damage we've done to the climate and reinforce our existing systems against climate shift. So, um, you know, in Thailand, for example, um, you know, we are going to have to think about how we protect our tourist areas from sea rise. Um, we're going to have to think about in Bangkok, how we make the city able to survive 100 year flood type occurrences that are happening every, every year as the uh, sea rise uh, happens. So well, is, is there is there a Bangkok at the end of the century, given, you know, the, the, the prediction that Bangkok is literally going to be underwater? Come on, if Brett, who is the futurist, choose to move to Bangkok, we, we are safe, okay? It's actually going to be easier to protect Bangkok from sea rise than it will be Shanghai or New York, as an example. 
right? Um, you can divert uh, water uh, from the chow praya to other areas. Um, you know, you, you can reinforce the uh, canals and the uh, the river walls here. You know, there's a lot you can do that will uh, make it livable with a, 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 a one and a half to two meter sea rise, right? I mean, we're having a hard enough time doing it today during flood season. What happens as the sea levels rise? I mean, you know, I, I know that there's always technological solutions, but it just gets back down to. But this is know. this is what I mean, Paul. Is that this, you know, it, we have no choice. You, you're not going to just let Bangkok go under, and so you're going to create um, this sort of, you know, almost multi generational workforce focused on fixing these problems, and that creates you know, incredible opportunities. So it may be that UBI is attached to some of these things, infrastructure improvement around, uh, you know, making uh, cities, uh, you know, like sea, sea defence as an example, or, you know, sequestering carbon out of the atmosphere and using that uh, to generate carbon nanotubes, which can be used in uh, construction, et cetera. There's a whole lot of stuff. Retooling the energy system. You know, by 2025, um, the world's coal plants will essentially, it'll be cheaper to replace them, even building entirely new renewable infrastructure, um, and, and then it will be to run existing coal plants, even though they've, they've already been built. And so just think about the amount of work we're going to do over the next 20 years, retooling the world's energy systems to be distributed renewable energy with uh, storage capability. I mean, we're talking about huge amounts of, of effort that's going to be required to sort of retool the world. And that doesn't even get into stuff like health tech and education tech and um, you know, fintech and all of those other areas, which will also be going through innovation. So in answer to your question, Nietzsche, there's plenty to do in the 21st century that's going to require us to um, you know, completely rethink um, economic development at a national and state level. And this uh, will generate incredible opportunities for, for the population in terms of workforce that we can attach to the concept of universal basic income. But there's other ways we could do it as well. If you look in Shenzhen at the moment, um, you know, China is trialing uh, central bank digital currencies. So you can create a secondary monetary supply using um, central bank digital currencies, but you can, you could, because it's programmable money, you could make it such that when people get the UBI, which is a CBDC, they can only spend it on staples. So they can't use a universal basic income to go out and buy a new iPhone, for example but they can use it for food, education, healthcare, and housing. Um, and so there, there are multiple ways we could solve this problem. Um, Brett, I, I wanted to ask, what is the priority for, for Thailand and Southeast Asia right now? In, you know, as you said, a lot can be done. What should the priority be right now? So um, are, are, can, can I yes. also reframe, you know, maybe I might want to reframe that, that, that question as well, because I think you know, priority is also like what problems we need to fix. But, you know, let me ask you, Brett, because you, you do think into the far future and you made the decision to relocate to Bangkok over the long term. So uh, when you look at Thailand and you think about where Why is Thailand's place in the in sort of that 21st century, 22nd century economy, where, where what areas do you think that Thailand could really 
kind of set the tone, uh, you know, for the global innovation stage? What are what are kind of the key competitive advantages we have in this country that we ought to be leveraging so uh, over the next hundred years? Let's say work reduces, right? Um, because that I, that's my firm belief is that the you know work will reduce the number of hours we do and um, you know the type of work we do is going to change because of automation. And so, if that happens, what do you do with your spare time? Well, you're not going to sit on a couch and play VR all the time. You're going to be looking for experiences. Thailand is already very well positioned as an experience economy. And so Thailand needs to really amp up investment in this experience economy beyond tourism, just into, you know, know, sort of the experience infrastructure. Um, Secondly, you know, Thailand, you know, before the pandemic was near full employment. But we've got to shift away from sort of low skill uh, labor to much more high skill labor. So there's a re-education, I think, that needs to occur. Ties already value education, I think. So I think that's positive. The healthcare sector here in Thailand, you know, it's already, a, a, you know, health, um, you know, we have tourism healthcare, which is, um, you know, incredible growth industry for Thailand. I think, um, you know, healthcare here will be a differentiation in terms of affordability. Um, um, so the one area probably I would say is just general technology, the startup stuff. We know a lot of this is happening right now, but creating that sort of homegrown technology innovation that um, can complement those sort of areas of growth. When you say experience economy, can you elaborate on that? Because it sounds like you're trying to say something beyond just coming to Thailand and experiencing it the way tourists do today. But what is that going to look like, uh, you know? um, So I I think one of the really interesting things in the future, if you've got a lot more time on your hands, what do you do? Well, you're going to learn to become a proficient cook. You might learn to be, you know, you might learn at, yeah, Muay Thai or, or, um, you might learn, um, you know, a trade or an art, you know, be an artist or something like that and, and spend a couple of years doing that. So um, these areas of pursuit that you can have outside of your nine to five job that give you joy and happiness, um, you know, I, I think that's that's really what you broadly classify as the experience economy. I read um, actually like uh, Thailand, we are strong in part of the agriculture and also the food industry. So, in your Absolutely. opinion, what is the how can we uh, add more value, or how can we uh, what is so the, the big, the big yeah, the, yeah, the big improvements in yep to improve the sorry, agricultural the, product and also the food industry. Sure. The big improvements are going to be in two areas, um, you know, well, broadly. One is supply chain and one is, uh, you know, overall production methods. Um, you know, we're going to have uh, things like uh, lab-grown meats and uh, lab-grown wine and, and, and so forth uh, because then they be more sustainable. Um, but in terms of agriculture, I think the biggest thing that we can do is you know, we have technology now like blockchain and so forth that we can use for traceability of the raw materials and, and uh, so forth in our um, production. But the efficiency of, um, you know, just uh, working out better ways to get that food out on the road and to, to the table essentially is, is key. You know, it, it's interesting because I think this this was related to a conversation that we had, uh, you, me, Nietzsche, and then uh, the folks from Kringsi and, and Rise uh, about, you know, food when we're talking about sustainability. 
And, uh, you know, I think one topic that came up was just the amount of food waste that, you know, we produce. Yeah, about 40 percent in most developed economies, they, you know, 40 percent of food goes to waste in most developed yeah. economies. And in, 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 it actually increased during the pandemic because of hoarding. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and you know, because I, I actually uh, I recently did a, a webinar on food tech, uh, you know, and we we actually had, you know, uh, the founders of uh, Recult, Fresh Cat and Let's Plant Meat, as well as the CEO of uh, Taiwa, you know, a, an agri food conglomerate. And we were talking about, you know, the, the, the future, you know, food tech revolution. And one of the topics we we're talking about was global hunger. And the fact that, you know, it's interesting because I think the stats that I was looking up for this webinar is that, uh, you know, 10% of the world's population is hungry, uh, hungry or malnourished, but 30% of the world's population is overweight and obese. So it, it actually turns out that the world is producing way more food to feed everyone and still produce a lot of waste. Uh, and so, you know, we're dealing with issues where we're producing too much food. Uh, the quality of a lot of the calories is really bad. Uh, and we're not even getting good calories or bad calories. The people that aren't getting any calories are too few. Uh, and so what, what winds up is, uh, is overproduction just winds up in landfill. And I think you and I were talking about, you know, how do we reduce this food wastage? Uh, and we're talking about different ideas like, you know, well, if we can use blockchain to trace the origin of why can't we use blockchain to go downstream and trace where the food waste goes so that you could sit so, there and say- So we'll be, sorry, one big ahead. change here, Paul, will be vertical farms in cities. So will urban greening is gonna be a big part of the uh, 21st century where we'll be you know, putting gardens you know, and, and uh, food production into cities to reduce the supply chain. But of course, I think it all comes down to AI will solve this problem for us, you know, I mean, Maybe it's a bit techno-utopian, but I think AI will be able to look at resource allocation of foods and optimize them, you know, in almost real time. Well, you know, it, it's funny because I was actually moderating a room about the future of food um, the other night. And we're talking about just sort of the idea of farming, like, you know, how has farming evolved and what is, you know, I think the topic of the room is how to make farmers sexy through tech. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's a big part of the world that sees farmers as, you know, the people that are kind of sweating outdoors and they're amongst crops uh, and, you know, they're getting dirty and they're, you know, they're, they're operating um, farm machinery. And I think to the point that you're making about indoor farms, you know, indoor farms, you know, it's like a lot of these places are very, very, um, you know, they're soilless, uh, you know, they're, they're, they almost look like, you know, chip labs. Uh, chip fabrication plants and you know the the farmers of the future could be you know techies in lab coats uh you know the 90 percent more efficient in terms of water use yeah you know and, and so a, a farms of the future could be highly automated robotic uh you know the 22nd century farmer could look like an ai programmer you know person wearing kind yeah. of a lab suit uh ipad doing ai algorithms to determine food allocation so you know, that would be a very interesting vision of what, you know, potentially a Thai farmer of the 21st century could look like a software engineer, uh, rather than someone who's out in the fields, you know, amongst, you know, rice paddies and whatnot. So that, that was just a very interesting conversation on the future of food. 
do you think that in 22nd century can be so wide or no? Like vitamin pills and water alone, no need to like eat the food. That would be so boring though. <laughs> Because we need to. Uh... Well, I, I no, think no. if you look at if you look at augmentation of humanity, I think you will be able to survive for days at a time without food or water. Um, you know, you'll have alternate energy sources, uh, but I, I think I don't think we'll want to. I, you know, food is one of the things that makes us human, and and uh, the you know the food that we eat, the experiences we have around it, uh, getting together with friends, the social aspect. I think, um, you know, I think it's something we'll do because we want to do, not necessarily because we have to do in the future. Yeah, it'll be more of a cultural thing and experiential. I, I think it just gets back to the experience economy that you know you don't need to eat to live, but you live to eat. I just wanted to ask something, um, which uh, was pointed out about how there could be increasing, you know, forms of of farming within the urban area. But with COVID 19 coming in, I feel that there is a shift or or change in people. Do you think that there will be a move away from big cities? Uh, do you think that there will be a different way of living and uh, modernizing our country, um, where it might not be so urban? Right. It's very interesting because you know um, if you look at the research that was done in the last decade, uh, it indicates that um, you know about uh, about fifty percent of humanity will be living in cities by 2050. Um, but um, you know the the pandemic has changed that trajectory. You know, working from home and so forth. And I think some employers are going to use that as a competitive differentiation. The fact you don't have to come into the office uh, regularly, and so. This is going to change the way we we think about uh, you know population centers and so forth, but at the same time you know we're building essentially this dynamic real time service layer on top of mobile commerce and it'll be integrated into smart glasses and you know AI based personal assistance and all of this that does require a certain level of supply chain um, you know efficiency and competency that you won't have in. Rural areas, but you will have in urban centers, and so I think it really sort of depends, you know, how much of that you want to get access to, and it'll be a, be a lifestyle choice. But I, I think you're right. I think there is a, a chance that that more people will say, "I don't want to live in cities in the future," and I think that's something that the pandemic, when we look back on that, that may be one of the longer-lasting effects of uh, COVID in terms of, um, you know, working from home patterns. I mean, Ch Charat. I think that was such an excellent question because if you think about the purpose of urban centers and even how urban centers are designed, is you know they're they're really designed around the whole idea that you know you you're conglomerating large numbers of people in one place from nine till six to work, uh, and cities are designed around that. You know, ring ring roads. Uh, you know, highways. It's all designed to actually move people into these city centers to work in the same building for eight, nine hours a day and get them out. And so, and then if you look at, as a result, you know, you've got this BTS system that you know moves people in and out quickly. You have real estate that gets super expensive if they're near a BTS station. Uh, but what happens when you no longer have to work fixed hours in fixed locations? Uh, where work is done digitally and remotely, uh, where you don't have to, 
you know, go into a city center with a place that has a bunch of food because you can work from anywhere, from your home, from up country. Yeah, you yeah. can send in that work yeah. at any time of the day and you can get food delivered this by is, drone. Yeah, this and the drone delivery is is going to be a huge thing. But Tara, just in, in, in just coming back to the whole role of work thing, you know, I, I think it needs to be said, we don't sort of recognize this because we're in the midst of it, you know, and, but the 40 hour working week is an anomaly from a, a, you know, historical perspective. It's only since the industrial revolution that we've chosen to work like that. I, I don't think that's humanity's natural state. And so I think, uh, I think um, you're right. I think as we change the place work holds in our life, um, it also may affect the, the role cities play in our life. That, that, that brings me to my next question as to like, would your advice for governments or, you know, the, the people who are constructing these urban areas, because we are seeing, of course, in, in Bangkok, a big focus on, you know, BTS, as we all see there, you know, a lot of construction in the urban area. Oh, do you think that there, it, it needs to be a shift in where we put our money, where we invest our money? Not yet. Um, I mm -hmm. think that will happen as we get to the middle of the century. But for now, um, you know, one of Thailand's greatest strengths will be the ability to attract talent, high skilled talent to Thailand because of the quality of life. So that people will choose to work here because they can work remotely, as an example, to mm -hmm. um, support that growth you're going to need infrastructure development. So we still need that basic infrastructure development to support that economic growth and that um, high skill immigration level um, over the next 20 years before sort of the bigger shifts start to uh, to play out, play in. But, but the thing I, I probably would emphasize is that, you know, even as Thailand attracts talent over the next century, it doesn't all necessarily need to conglomerate in Bangkok. You know, as we, we develop, you know, remote ways of working, as we probably develop cheaper and faster ways of travel between cities, you know, I mean, you know, if you look at what Hyperloop is trying to do, you know, uh, if, once Hyperloop becomes a bit of a reality, you know, you could probably commute from, you know, uh, New York to San Francisco in probably about, you know, uh, 60 to 90 minutes. Uh, which is probably faster than going from Orange County to Los Angeles. Uh, and so if that's the case, then, you know, you no longer have to move to Bangkok to work. You can, you know, you could do it from Chiang Mai. You can do it from Phuket. Uh, you could take like a 20 minute fast train into to, to Bangkok if you need to meet with people. Um, but, you know, it, it just becomes more dispersed. You don't need to cram everyone into one city center. Yeah. Okay. okay. So can I suggest that, you know, um, can we, can we give the time to Brett so we can talk yeah. about some of the things he's working on? Because he's got a book coming out. And he's got a television series coming out. Okay. And yep. we should please. talk about that. Yeah. Brett, please. So, so, yeah, so Mimi knows me as, um, you know, as a futurist. Um, in much of the world, of course, I'm, I'm a fintech guy. I run a fintech radio show. I have a fintech startup. Um, but, you know, over the next decade, I'm going to be focused a lot more on, you know, general futurism. And so my uh, book, Augmented, that I, I wrote in, um, or it was released in 2015, um, it, you know, uh, it, it did pretty well. It ended up on President Xi's desk, but it's just been optioned for a TV show. So hopefully that'll be on Amazon or uh, you know, Netflix uh, in the next couple of years. We're going to start filming in the second half of the year in New Zealand. 
Um, Sam Neill has signed on to narrate. You know, Sam Neill's from like Jurassic Park fame. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty exciting. But um, I'm also working, um, I've just almost finished my seventh book, which is following on from Augmented. It's sort of the sequel, natural sequel to that. It's called The Rise of Techno-Socialism. And so that really looks at all of these macro changes over the next 30 to 50 years in terms of how humanity will evolve and how our politics and economics and social order will will adapt to high levels of automation and climate shift and, um, you know, the sort of crises we have uh, with the pandemic. Um, I've got uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is doing the forward for this book and uh, Jack Mars made a contribution. So it is a pretty... Uh, um, you know, it's a pretty big piece of work. I've been working on it for about three years on and off. Um, and that should be out uh, in the summer, at the end of the summer um, globally. Um, so watch out for that one. In terms of, um, it's it's certainly the biggest scope in terms of a book I've ever written. Um, and it really looks at some very, very big issues, such as what is the purpose of humanity? And, uh, you know, how do we, uh, how do we support that? So, um, um, you know, but I am a techno optimist, and um, you know, so you will see, as you saw in Augmented, the recurring theme that technology can solve a lot of the biggest problems we have in the world. I, I'm going to also add that you know, Brett's got some phenomenal books, but unfortunately, he doesn't have a local publisher, so none of his books are in Thai. So I'm just going to say, anyone can we change that? If you have a connection to local publishers that would help translate and publish his books, I think it is a really, really great crime that we don't have his books in the Thai language here. So, uh, but you know, if you don't mind reading awesome. English, I highly pick up reading his books. Okay, that's great. Um, thank you so much, Brett, for for taking you know your time to be with us here for discussion. Definitely, it's a very exciting time. Kunmi, do you have any other questions you want to ask? Um. Not now, actually. Hopefully, then we have a chance to uh, host episode two. <laughs> yes, that, I, that's going to be my question. Like, when, I'd love to do that. Let's when, do. We should do a techno socialism for sure. Yeah, we should do a techno socialism for you guys. Random question, if I can ask, because I think when when Nietzsche and I were at your place for dinner uh, the other week, I saw on your bookshelf Ready Player Two. Did you read that yet? I'm 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 into it, um, and I don't want to like give any spoilers, but um, I, 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 you know, the, the whole Anorak thing, I, I must say, I saw that coming, but more from my <laughs> watching of the movie than from the reading of the, of the first book. So, um, it, yeah, it's it certainly, um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely pretty cool. It's certainly, yeah. um, I'd love to see Spiel, Spielberg get into the second movie. Well, well no, because, you know, I mean, if we have you for a minute, because I, I was going to ask you a question based on your experience economy thing. And I don't want to give it away to anyone who hasn't uh, read Ready Player Two. Uh, I hope many of us have actually either read or seen the movie Ready Player One that sort of talks about, you know, this virtual reality world. But, you know, sort of the next generation tech, uh, and this is not going to give away any of the plot, but it sort of involves kind of a next evolution. So it's not just virtual reality, but it's it's kind of, you know, this, it, 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 it kind of reminds me a lot of what, um, Elon Musk is thinking about in terms of a neural link. So actually creating that you know, brain computer interface. Uh, and it talks a little bit about you know, being able to not just 
exist in this virtual reality world, but to actually record your experiences and share those experiences with other people. So if you can think about like not just watching someone's TikTok feed, but actually feeling, watching, experiencing someone else's experience uh, that they've recorded. If you want to, if you want to see an old sci-fi movie that looks at that, there's a movie called Brainstorm. In the mid '80s, mm. came out that was uh, postulating on recording that. But there was also a Black Mirror episode on it. Mm, yeah, that's right. No, but it's interesting because if you're saying that kind of, if Thailand's next sort of you know, if our competitive advantage maybe in the next century is this experience economy, what happens if this type of technology comes out when you could just share experiences digitally without having to travel to Thailand, you know? And so what I would have loved to, you know, if we had another half hour was to go into, you know, how realistic is this technology and does that sort of, you know, wreck the whole thesis behind, you know, tourism or, you know, an experience economy. Uh, Let's get into it next time. (laughs) Is it tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Hey, listen, it's been really great hanging out with you, and uh, I hope we do this again soon. Thank you. Thanks for your time, Brad. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. So, um, uh, we just like to say to everyone who's joining our conversation, it's been really insightful. We've touched on a lot of things. you know, what, what I want to say is, uh, and I, I hope this format of conversation was interesting because I know it's it's a little bit different than kind of a standard Q&A format, but also not just the style of conversation, but, you know, the types of conversations that I typically have with folks like Brett, uh, as well as other people that I, I deal with in tech, because, I, you know, I, I think that it's very easy for those of us in uh, startups in VC to try and think about, you know, we, we think about what life is like today and we try to fast forward, you know, five years, 10 years, and we try to say, okay, what technologies today uh, are going to improve over the next couple of years? But what's slightly different uh, sometimes about the conversations that, you know, Brett and I will have and kind of the way that I worked with my former VC team is that we will start from the future and we'll work backwards. So, you know, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about movies like, you know, The Avengers or Minority Report or Blade Runner uh, and, you know, or Terminator. And, you know, all these all these films have a very, very different vision of the future uh, and inevitably the vision of what technology might look like in the future. And we, we, we spend a lot of time talking about is that movie realistic? Can that happen in 50 years? If so you know, what can we expect from that type of technology? Can we imagine it today? Because, you know, one of the, one of the arguments I make, uh, and I, I did this with my whole PC team, is that a lot of the technologies we operate today were inspired by books and movies from 20, 30 years ago. So, you know, I always like to use the example of the old Star Trek television program from the 60s because all the technology that they created, that they imagined in the show, actually started to look like the technology of the 80s and 90s. You know, the, the Motorola flip phones look very similar to the Star Trek communicators. And the reason why is because you had an entire generation of kids that were inspired by movies like that and said, when I become, when I go to college, I'm going to become an engineer and I'm going to make the same product that I saw television 
And so I tell, I tell my teams today, you know, there is going to be an eight-year-old watching the Avengers saying, when I get older, I'm going to build Iron Man. Uh, and so I, I tell my team, look at all the coolest science fiction films today and try to imagine which technology some kid will try to make in 10, 20 years. And if you want to kind of try and predict what the future will look like, look at what science fiction is doing today. Uh, and so a lot of times our conversations are, we'll look at, you know, the coolest movies and try and walk backwards and say, what technology should we be thinking about today to create the future that we saw in the movies that we like? Um, and so it's a very different way of thinking. And that, that's the kind of conversations that we hold. Uh, I think what Brett and I wanted to talk about today was just getting people to start thinking not just about what technology is going to look like for the next 10 years, but what would technology look like 50 years from now, 100 years from now, and then walk it backwards. Yeah, Paul, I think uh, we have a great start today, right? And I think um, we have discussed uh, a lot of things already. Should we open the uh, mic uh, for some of our audience to make comments or ask questions or discuss some points? Yeah, if anyone wants to come up and chat, I'm still, you know, I still have energy. And I'm going to be very controversial when I say this. I was not a Trekkie. <laughs> I was more like a Star Wars person. But now that, you know, I live in the present, I really see and I really do appreciate Star Trek. And I do see now that I find more interest in the latest Star Trek series because it, it is true now. All the things that we're seeing happening is coming from these kind of programs. Mm -hmm. No, no, but you know, I mean, even even you know, beyond Star Trek, one of the one of my favorite movies is Minority Report because I mm -hmm. think it does a, such a good job of imagining what our near future might look like. Even though the film is almost twenty years old, it still feels realistically futuristic. And uh, you know, I think up until maybe two weeks ago, Nichapat had never seen the movie. And so I actually had her sit down and watch it. I don't know what your impressions were after you saw the movie. Yeah, I, I think for me it's interesting, right? But uh, I'm not sure I am going to arrest anyone before they made that crime. I probably oh, yeah. oh, I remember it now. I remember it yes. now. Okay. But, but no, no, but again, yeah, it's but... not even just the idea of predicting future crime. But, you know, if you saw the vision of autonomous vehicles... Uh, yeah. and advertising I love that. Yeah. and biometrics and drones. Uh -huh. uh, you know, it's like that, you know, you look at it today and it's like that could all happen. Okay, uh, we have... It doesn't seem like yeah. it's that far we, off. We have Kunsura Wat Naha that Sam. has just come in too. Hi, hi guys. Hello. So sorry I, I joined the call or the uh, talk a little bit late, so I'm not sure if um, this was mentioned, but did, did Brett or anyone talk about um, the sort of the core reason or or thought process for why we believe that ubi will be possible in the future that's well, yeah, what I mean... i'm trying to get it from him <laughs> but, oh, okay. you know like the conversation is um you know we just so excited right but i think the the key thing is that what he's trying to say is that because of the climate change because of mm. the temperature right rising ai based employment will reduce the work and then because of the covid as well right these all things you know make human want to work much more closer together or force us to work together and then you know the good thing will 
happen, and then the tax, you know, we'll be able to tax what we should be taxed, and because of that, uh, you know, UBI is possible. But frankly speaking, Pisa, I was, I was, I was trying to push, not push, right? I mean, I'm trying to, to sort of like unearth that thought of he is quite a bit, but you know, the conversation, uh, just going. Sideway for so many times, so I was like, okay, next session. Uh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, I think he, there were a couple of big leaps, which I think, uh, because you know his, the time with him was limited. But I think mm. the thinking was that you know UBI will come. So I think he was saying that because of all the big climate disasters that are in front of us, that the world, out of necessity, will start to be a little bit more collaborative. Uh, and then I think, you know, as that sort of collaboration builds, then I think culturally uh, we're going to be. I think there's going to be a recognition that between fixing a collective problem around climate and dealing with a collective problem of AI-driven, automation-driven unemployment, that you know maybe humans will kind of make that leap and see that UBI is necessary. Um, I think we might have skipped some steps, or maybe Brett did, and we didn't get to dive into that. But I think that was the implication: is that UBI will become, it will be a result of the world sort of coming together because of you know collaborating around uh, climate and unemployment and I automation. See. I see. Yeah. So, well, I love uh, to, to learn. Oh, go ahead. So please go ahead. Oh, I'm so sorry. I I don't want to be the party pooper. As, as a slang word say, but we're kind of running out of time. Okay, so would, uh, can Paul, uh, would you like to give your last thoughts on, on today's talk? No, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy that people popped in. You know, again, the types of conversations that happened tonight is the type of conversations that we have with Brett when we sit down with him over a burger or beer. We just let our imaginations run wild and we try to imagine possibilities and then we argue and debate. Uh, and then we, you know, I mean, that, that, that's part of what I think trying to imagine innovation and disruption uh, should be like. It's, it's basically, you know, poking and prodding, you know, alternate visions of the future. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. We are very excited. And Kunimi and the Texas team are already talking about future talks um, in this style. Kunita Pat, thank you so much for uh, being with us and, and helping us out as well with a touch summarization of the whole talk. Thank you so much as well for raising your hand and joining us towards thank the you. end. Thank you. Too. Uh, and thank you for hosting this room. Yeah, Kunimi, any last thoughts? Um, hopefully that we have chance to host the episode two. Actually, I have uh, many questions that related to, like, for example, like travel tech and uh, the future of the travel. For example, like um, I have seen like Doraemon, uh, did a cartoon, a uh, Japanese cartoon that we love. <laughs> Uh, we have seen the anywhere door, and hopefully that we can see it in the next century. <laughs> okay, ka. thank you, uh, everybody. Can, can, I also, can I also ask everyone in the room to just click on the little green house on the top if you haven't followed the Texas Club? Follow the Texas Club, and I'm also going to do a promo for a club I just worked on called uh, Thailand Tech Chat. So uh, you know that that's more of an English language focus, but you know we're. We're always happy to collaborate with Texas and creating like, you know, multilingual content. So uh, please ah, follow Texas mm -hmm. and please follow Thailand Tech Chat. Thailand ah. Tech Chat. Yes. Paul, where, where can I find Thailand Tech Chat? Do uh, I have I to search? You, 
if you do a search for the club Thailand Tech Chat, uh, it's not in this one because this is this room is hosted by Tech Sauce. Got it. Uh, but uh, Thailand Tech Chat, we're going to oh, be doing see that. Yep. Uh, okay. all sorts of fun content as well. But, you know, uh, probably for the benefit of our non-Thai speaking uh, uh, ecosystem fans. Okay, and then and then and then for your Thailand tech chat, do you have like specific uh session like one day? Yeah, so actually, actually, I, I know uh, I'm your wife, but I but I don't yes, know. Yes, you already know this. So you're helping me promo. <laughs> so actually, what we're so um and actually, I think the co-founder Lily is down in the audience. Um, we're we're going to be doing a weekly, uh, kind. Of, it's called Thai Tech Weekly, which is just kind of a review of some of the major tech events going on that might impact Thailand. That will happen every uh, Tuesday at uh, 7 p.m. Um, although there's actually some interest from folks, especially the Thai Americans in California, uh, that are asking, you know, is there going to be another set of rooms at a later time when they don't have to wake up at five in the morning? <laughs> um, and then I think Lily and I and our co-founder Dave, we're, we're also looking to come up with other topics that we can do on the other nights so you know just okay. different topical things so okay um that's what we're doing okay thank you so much paul and thank you. we look forward for further collaborations okay we'll have to end it now um oh, no. good morning to all those who are listening to us from the states and uh, good night to everyone who's listening to us here in thailand Sauce, sparking innovative thoughts.